0: You're listening to the Modern Web Podcast. For more podcasts, videos, and events, find us online at modern web.org or follow us on Twitter at modern.web. That's M O D E R N D O T W E B. This podcast is sponsored by This.Labs, a framework agnostic consultancy that specializes in JavaScript. You can find them at this.co labs. That's T H I S D O T dot. Co labs. Hello and welcome to this episode of the Modern Web Podcast. Super excited here to talk about what's new in RxJS with some of my fellow RxJS core team members, Ben and OJ. Hi, Ben.
1: Hey, how are you?
0: <laughs> good and hi, OJ. Thank you so much for joining us today.
1: Hi, right, good morning.
0: And then, in addition to that, we also have my co host, Rob O'Sell, who is also um, on the Vistot team. So, thank you so much, Rob, for joining and coming. Thanks for up, me. Yes, and coming up with ways to torture um, OJ <laughs> and Ben with questions. Are you all ready?
2: <laughs> yeah, I am.
0: Okay, so maybe we can just give a quick update on. You know the latest release of rxjs and maybe um anything upcoming does anybody want to give a quick summary about what's going on
3: uh well, well the latest release actually happened yesterday it's um, 6.3.3 uh mostly what, what's been happening in recent history has been a lot of cleanup and bug fixes that we've been meaning to do for a while where uh there's like in most recent releases, there was uh, a series of I wouldn't necessarily call it bugs, but there were there were uh, situations where subscriptions would be would be held longer than they really needed to be. Um, so, like if you, for example, had some observable that you then merge mapped into a bunch of other observables and the source stopped, it would keep the subscription to the source until all the other ones were done. Uh, so there was, a, there was a lot of cleanup around that, which kind of reduces memory pressure, which is a good thing. And uh, this most recent couple of patches was around corner cases where people would have a node app that had mul- multiple versions of RxJS um, installed under node modules. And like one library is returning observables from one version of RxJS to another library that has a different version of RxJS and they're trying to consume each other. Uh, and there was there was some weird uh, errors around that that we we got cleaned up. So um, it was the Angular CLI people that hit that the most. They use a lot of Rx in Angular CLI. Um, so that's that's kind of what's what's been going on recently. Uh, we've had a new a couple of new features. Um, OJD, are do you remember all the, the new features that we've
1: added recently? The stay quiet inclusive included in releases or it's still in, up in the air? uh the you're,
3: you're talking about the one with the um the trailing values Yes, correct yeah, i think that one's still undecided mm-hmm. uh i think that's um yeah that would because that would require another minor release and i wanted to get a patch out first so that that'll probably be the next
1: and our worst, worst note that we have the striving for a lot of a uh, type definition for more clear in a way and a lot of operators and also the, yeah tons of the, the testing of the types itself in our repo, let's try to guard some of the unexpected behavior as well.
2: Yeah,
3: yeah, so uh, that's right. Um, we, we've, had, uh, we've had a bunch of work and there's a bunch of area for contribution here where there was, uh, we've added DTS lint tests that go through and actually test to make sure that types infer properly through our <laughs> Type and through other observables to make sure that type guards work and stuff for the TypeScript folks. Uh, and there's been so, some solidification around that in version 6.3. Uh, there might be some people that when they update will suddenly have build errors, TypeScript errors, and it's generally because they had um, bad typings in there or TypeScript suddenly is catching things that um, they didn't, realize what was off, like inside of Google three, I know when we, when I'm going through trying to update, uh, there were, there were apps that hit, uh, things where they had an observable that was trying to dematerialize, um, uh, basically dematerializes an operator that expects a a notification an observable of notifications. And they were just trying to dematerialize an observable of random objects, which, uh, should be a type error, but wasn't prior to to six, three. So we've got typings improvements um, that'll help people catch more problems. That's that's kind of a big thing. Might be a pain for a few people, but uh, it's a good pain. They should, they should fix those things.
0: Cool. Awesome. Oh my God. So many exciting things. So can we hop into testing? Because I don't know how many questions I get on Twitter about testing. And of course, um, when we do anything related to RxJS consulting, it's always about, all right, what do we do? Where, what, what's it going? So, um, I mean, OJ, I know you've worked on some really cool projects, and Ben, I know you and Jay uh, did some stuff there, but OJ, can we hear about your amazing Because I think it's just a, such a great thing.
1: Um, I'm not sure it's that amazing thing, honestly, though. So before yeah, introducing my one, there are a couple of the uh, currently known testing frameworks for the It's of a core library itself already included test scheduler. And pretty much every implementation of the testing assertions are based on those implementations. The basic idea is to let you consume your tools in a synchronous manner without waiting any kind of asynchronous things happening. And then my library and things called Sandbox is a uh, kind of improved version of the test scheduler that you can have a more fine-grained control of marble diagram what you use in the core library, and then add some kind of more fancy syntaxes to having some long-running library and other uh, in a reduced manner and vice versa. Cool. um Ben, do you have any
0: thing to add into like sort
3: of the stuff that's been going on with RxJS and testing. Yeah, sure. The uh, so there's there's a bunch of work that Jay Phelps did uh, that that him and I designed that's actually in uh, RxJS core now under RxJS slash testing. Uh, and that work basically is that um, when you create an instance of test scheduler, there's now a method on it called run and if you call it, and there's there's documentation around this too, um, If when you call it run, you pass it this function and inside that body of the function, you can set up all of these marble tests. And when that function is done executing, which it is, it executes synchronously, it then flushes all those tests and, and does the assertions. Um, in uh, the experimental branch, so the experimental branches should really be start, we should probably start calling it the next branch because it's it's got all the work for RxJS7 in it I've been porting the RCS, uh tests uh, direct to like copy paste over to the new branch and then converting them to use test scheduler run. Um, so it's, it's something that is getting dog fooded at least by me uh, in the experimental branch now and it works pretty well. I did find um, one hole in it uh, that I don't think has been fixed in the the stable version yet, which is um, subscription abs- assertions, which are assertions where you're saying I expect this to be subscribed to at this point, and I expect it to be unsubscribed at this point. Uh, they don't work uh, in currently in the in the run mode, and there's a variety of reasons for that. There's an issue filed. Um, it's a pretty easy fix. I think we can get that out soon. But um, yeah, the the when people ask about what should I do with testing. Uh, the marble tests originally were designed to accommodate testing the, the RCS library itself. And we thought, well, wouldn't it be great if we could make these some make this something that other people could use? And other people can use it. Uh, it's, the, some of the stuff that Jay added uh, and, and I helped him design was around the having having the idea of what if you want arbitrary time units in your tests. So, you know, what if you want to say this observable waits for five days and then does something like you can't really do that with marbles. You'd be typing hyphens for ever, like it, you know, one millisecond per hyphen or 10 milliseconds per hyphen or whatever, Whatever, it would just be insane. So, um, it's, there's some syntax that's been added for that. Uh, but like for the most part, when people are like, should I use marble diagrams? My, my personal experience is, Probably not. Like you can usually just mock it with an observable of or use a subject and next into it and see what happens. Um, those things are totally valid, totally fine. They're not like less good than using marble diagrams. Marble diagrams are useful when there's an element of time involved. Like if you were like, oh, I want to delay this thing by X amount or I want to see what happens if these two things come in right away and then this one comes in later. Um, all of a sudden then marble diagrams become more useful or if you're designing your own operators and you want to and you're doing it from scratch and you want to test those more thoroughly um, I would say marble diagrams are pretty good for that but there's a learning curve um, it's not a horrible learning curve but there is a learning curve uh, and I think for the 80% use case where people are like oh well I have this functionality that depends on some observable that gets a value um, you can use observable of, that value or some mock value or you can use a subject and just next values into it and see what happens and that those are totally valid ways to, to test things
0: okay. so in
1: my case, I use the uh, marvel on a lot for the, the testing the readups of global cases uh, that uh, the epics having the uh, several different actions coming in and it transforms into some kind of different values so not only for those kind of of course uh, the marvel testing is very useful when it comes to time matter's that s just said. Also, I found it sometimes very useful. If you just want to have a high-level diagram, OK, what's happening in certain action and sequences, even though you don't care about the time a lot. But I also agree that not all of the testing should be written in marble test. Because if you sometimes try to write some of the operation in a marble testing, you're going to feel like very awkward situation that uh, sometimes the marble is just not right fit for them. It's a, as Ben said, it's completely fine that you could assert in a different way, or even try to use the it big force, the legacy way of the test the scheduler mechanism. It's a perfect fine way of doing that. But still, courting wanted to have uh, some kind of a uh, right product level of the testing assertion suit that anyone can just uh, opt into it as soon as you install RFCs.
0: Yeah, and just going down one level um, to you know, most most of the questions that I actually get are just, "Hey, uh, well, you know, to test, all you need to do is just add a little ta- tap operator through your observable chain, right? Through your through your um through through your different chain, and 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 actually like figure out where the actual issues are. And um, I don't know if you guys know of a good blog post to sort of how to use the tap operator to sort of like step through different things. But as beginners are learning, I feel like that for some reason is not, uh, you know, basically do a tap and then a console log. Um, I mean, those have been the most basic things. Like Ben, do you want to talk about that a little bit more?
3: Yeah, sorry. I I actually was was booted off. I don't know if it actually looked like I was booted off, but I lost connection there for a second. Um, So presumably you're talking about debugging. Is that?
0: Yes. Yes.
3: Uh, All right. So there was, I had like a brief Twitter rant about this the other day, where uh, when you're debugging things in code, um, a lot of really like pro developers will just be like pedants about, you should always use the debugger statement or breakpoints and then step through your code. And those things are great. However, uh, when you're dealing with things that involve a lot of concurrency or event coordination, you need to know the order in which things happen and so using uh, console log statements is actually more valuable in those cases because then you can look and you have a log of everything that's happened in the order that it's happened and you can get like a high level view. So given that RxJS is really about coordinating events and concurrency, um, I, I recommend using tap and, and console log statements to kind of log things out. People can make their own simple custom operators to do that if they want. Um, But generally what you do is you just have tap and in your next callback for for tap, you just console log out what would be next there. And that just gives you a view of like what happened after this operator and what happened after this operator. And you can kind of inject those things in between. Um, And uh, I don't know, like overall, I think that, um, I think that that's probably the best approach to suss out most problems that you run into in RxJS, which is just a lack of understanding of when certain things are happening. Um, the time where I would actually step into something with the debugger would be uh, if I was seeing something where like a particular mapping wasn't coming out right, or a particular an error was thrown in a particular spot, like then you've kind of narrowed it down to something's happening in here, I'm going to go ahead and
1: go and, and like set a breakpoint in there and step in and, and see what. Or both prior APIs in some kind of an unexpected way.
3: Right. Yeah. 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 That those those are perfectly valid reasons to use a debugger. And I'm not like I'm not panning using like breakpoints to debug. I'm just saying that most of us, definitely, I'm not uh, good enough to um, remember everything that's happened over time while I'm looking at. An individual call stack in a little frame of time in a bunch of code. Like, I, I have a hard time remembering, like, what was, how, what happened the last seven times I was here? Like, I, it, where you can easily see that if you're just logging. Um, so, yeah. And then there's the other, my other favorite trick that I, that just doesn't even apply to RSGS, but just in general is to go into Chrome DevTools and set a conditional breakpoint and put a console log statement in the conditional breakpoint because it always returns undefined, anyways. So it doesn't actually cause the breakpoint to be hit, but it's like a way to inject the console log statement into, into code without actually having to alter the code. Um, so it's it's a it's kind of a fun way to debug.
0: It's kind of funny because when we talk about debugging and testing, and I know they're two separate things, but I sort of shove them all together. I'm like, you know, because I think a lot of people when they talk about, oh, I need to test my code or my my RGS code isn't working. You know, it's not, I mean, obviously, like all the stuff you all are doing there, but it's, it's. you know, sometimes it's just like, okay, try to debug it first and then figure out, but I mean, you're kind of testing your code.
3: Yeah, yeah. Well, you're not, uh, you're not far off. I mean, um, testing is really just debugging before production, right? Like, <laughs> yeah. it's, I mean, it's a, like debugging in production is what happens when you don't have tests. So therefore, if you set up tests, what's gonna happen is you set up tests, you'd be like, oh crap, this doesn't at all work the way I thought it was going to work most of the time, uh, unless you're awesome uh, and then or really lucky. And then you end up having to debug. Um, So testing and debugging does go hand in hand. You're just basically with testing is you're setting up scenarios that you'll inevitably have to debug because it didn't work the way you expected.
0: Well, um, one question actually that I wanted to ask: Is what is the best way to sort of get into marbles and learn marbles uh, for testing?
3: Um, right now, I would say, honestly, like you could either go look at some of the tests for the more simpler, uh, the more the more simple operators in RxJS, uh, especially if you go under the experimental branch because. Um, the test scheduler there is a mirror of what's going on in the stable branch uh, and it's being used. you're creating a test scheduler and we're calling run. Uh, there's also some solid documentation that Jay wrote up uh, whenever these changes were made. Uh, I believe it's linked in the docs. If it's not linked in the docs, it's under the doc folder in the repository. Um, but yeah, it's it's that's the best way. And then it's just a matter of Kind of playing with it and realizing that these are like, oh, I'm making an ASCII diagram that vertically aligns with every, everything else. Don't if if you're if you're programming with a non monospace font though, um, forget it. It's not it's not. Don't you, you want to? <laughs> um, otherwise, it, things don't line up. And uh, there's there are some sadists in the world that really like to use non non monospace fonts when they program. I don't know why. But, it is a thing. It's a ligature as well, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Oh, my god. Don't get me started on
2: ligatures. <laughs> and as the as the representative of the people outside of the core team, I can attest that the the tests in uh, RxJS actually are quite readable. So if it's something that you want to learn, they're really straightforward to just uh, understand at a glance.
1: I heard that if you want to understand what Marble actually represents, that Reading our test code is the most simplest way, especially some kind of really straightforward operator, like map or filter. As soon as you see diagram, you can immediately match your imaginary that how does the operator works versus how does it throws into the marble diagram. So you get the idea of, OK, this is how does it actually represent into this kind of diagram.
3: Yeah, yeah. There's there are some weird quirks to it. Um, for example, in all current versions of marbles, like each character represents the passage of time, uh, and so that means that if you have uh, a value emitted in a spot, it also causes time to move. Um, so there's there's little things like that, and which means if you want a bunch to be emitted at the same time, they're wrapped in parens, and the head paren is kind of where that that um, that, that emission occurs is on that point. Like there's, so there are, there are some weird quirks that you have to learn when you're reading it. Um, but I mean, most, the most, the simplest cases are the ones that like OJ was saying in, in map or like some of the ones in merge map, um, a bit easier to read. Some are a little nutso though. Some of them do get you like, I will go back and look at Uh, every now and then.
2: Yeah. So, um, kind of wanted to switch gears a little bit. And one of the things that I was really fascinated about is, you know, I feel like across the ecosystem in JavaScript, everybody's just on a diet. Suddenly, a lot of people are really looking at bundle sizes and they're really thinking about squeezing all the bytes they can out of their libraries. And I know RxJS has actually lost a lot of weight, right? From moving from 5.5 to 6, something like 36 KB down to like 12 right now or something in that neighborhood. So I was kind of wondering, um, you know, how uh, you know how's that process going where is it going in the next versions is there anything that you kind of wanted to talk about about you know how you're kind of keeping being mindful of the the bundle size
3: yeah so the the change from five five to six that made the biggest difference for people in bundle size actually um, like code wise rsgs didn't really change in like the amount of code that we were shipping what happened is we reorganized code to make it more tree-shakable. So uh, when when bundlers are going through, and we were able to mark some of these um, uh, some of these modules as pure, um, when bundlers are going through, it, it can say, "Oh, well, here's here's all of these modules coming from RxJS. They're all pure. We're only using these ones. Shake away everything else." Uh, so that's that's the big. Savings uh, for version six. Now, uh, version seven, which is under the experimental branch right now, there's a whole design document around it. Um, it's based off of, loosely based off of Andre Steltz's callbags, but it is different than callbags uh, for a variety of reasons, mostly related to size and and a particular use case. Um, but uh, it's even smaller in that everything's kind of implemented as a function. And we're doing some kind of goofy things uh, to patch methods onto functions but um, for the most part what the result is is smaller library size and smaller um, and much much reduced memory footprint like if if every subject for example is nothing but a function uh, as opposed to an object with several functions on it like the memory footprints obviously going to be a lot smaller um, but Uh, The, like, so far the experiments there are to take, um, basically I've I've taken the TypeScript code from that library and put it directly into a newly generated Angular CLI, like Hello World app. And the original footprint um, for RxJS6 in that app was like 17K. And with RxJS7 or experimental, whatever you want to call it, it's reduced to 7K. So it's a substantial reduction in size. Um, other, other things around that are things like trying to move, um, like split up uh, functions that take an optional scheduler because quite often those functions are saying, hey, if there's a scheduler, then do this block of code, otherwise do this block of code. And when you have a function that's nothing but like an if statement that's like, if this, then do this, otherwise do this that's like a smell for, well, maybe these two things, this, these two things should be separate functions, especially in a world where you can mark, you know, functions and and, and uh, modules as pure and tree shake away things you're not using. Uh, so that's, that's another thing that the experimental branches is, is kind of doing.
2: Great, um, and so on a similar, in a similar vein, you know, one of the things that I've seen, I don't know if you guys have encountered this in the workshops or in, in people that you've done consulting with, but oftentimes you'll be in a project and uh, maybe RxJS isn't a core part of it, but you suddenly run into like the perfect use case for it. You're like, oh my gosh, I think RxJS observables would be great here. And then the conversation tends to flow like, but do we want to pull it all in for this one use case? It, you know, I think getting it adopted, um, getting wider adoption would rely on having a good answer to that question. It, do you, do you have anything particular that you say to teams that are saying that? like is it worth pulling in? I only have like two places I want to use it. Do I have to use it everywhere? Like, what do you say to people when they kind of have those concerns that's sort of limiting them you know playing around with it or using it in their products?
3: I don't, I don't know. OJ, do you want to take that one? Uh,
1: yeah, I'm hitting those kind of situations from time to time though. My my advocate is uh, I'm kind of biased that to try to use it first and to see it out how it does build. But it really depends on uh, some kind of a use cases, I believe. Because uh, even though I believe RxJS and tools are quite great and uh, kind of easy to use, but it also have uh, some kind of steep learning curve to some people. So, so let's just say you have only a couple of a use cases and you are so into it, and then introduce it, and then you are not maintaining those code, then the, those products will going to be at risk at some point that someone, anyone doesn't know about the, what kind of tool code this is doing, and you have uh, someone has to maintain it in that way. So the general consensus is, if the feature really feels useful, and even if it's a kind of a small scope that changes, I think it is better to have a, some kind of consensus. OK, this is some kind of paradigm. We can live in that. So sometimes, I don't use this metaphor a lot, but it's just some kind of utility built, like a Rodesh. So in your some kind of code basis, you probably have a small places using raw only, but also a lot of people still understand what code actually does it. I feel that in that way. So having small places to use it is perfectly fine, but also if you have a, some kind of team to maintain those code places, then the team also have a, some kind of understanding what code does it.
2: Great. Yeah. I. I think I agree. You know, I, I think what you were saying earlier that the newer versions of the library being so much uh, more easily tied in with tree shaking uh, to reduce bundle sizes, I think maybe some people might not have realized that that kind of progress had been made and that realistically, you know, you, you kind of get what you are using. Um, and so if there is anybody watching that, you know, hasn't uh, played around with it a while or that was a concern, that may be something that you want to, you know, take a look at it again just to see, you know, wh- how it, you know how it shakes out for you.
3: So one of the
2: one of the things I would
3: say to people too, because this is like a broader question, right? Like it's not just RxJS. Of uh, course, yeah. Is I mean, if you think about the same argument that people use for frameworks, uh, which is people are like, well, you know, I'd rather use the platform or the minimal thing, and I'm gonna I'm gonna you know kind of build my own thing, and inevitably, inevitably, what they end up build, building is a half baked, crappy framework right like that's that's really what they end up doing and uh what the attraction is to using rsjs or lodash for example like a lot of the stuff that lodash does anybody could write a method that that does some of the things with arrays for example that lodash does the difference is lodash has been around for years it's had thousands and thousands and thousands of people use it. Um, thousands of people contribute to it and it's it's battle tested and hardened and it's written properly and it doesn't have the whatever mistakes in it that you were about to write whenever you tried to write your own method to do whatever. Um, so it's the same sort of thing, like if you find yourself in a situation where I have to do a bunch of event coordination between these two different events or I've got some streaming stuff and I want to do something kind of fancy with it, like could you, could you write imperative code to do that yourself? Absolutely, you don't need to pull in RxJS to do that. I have confidence that people are smart enough to come up with their own solutions there. The problem is that uh, they're going to create uh, buggy code around things that RxJS has already solved, debugged and tested. So uh, I think that the, the argument for using libraries, existing libraries or frameworks, is really just that they're more battle tested than whatever you were about to write. Uh, and, uh, now in the days of, like you're saying, bundlers and, and being able to tree shake those things away, like things away that you're not using, um, you know, hopefully we're away from things where people are like, I'm going to use Moment.js for time. And they pull in like two megs of stuff, right? Like <laughs> I, I, I think that we're kind of away from those days. I don't know that moments really caught up with the bundling <laughs> thing yet, but, but they're, they're the one that everybody picks on.
1: <laughs> yeah. I I and in general, I sometimes getting questions like, uh, is there some kind of problem that uh, without Optable you can solve? My answer is probably 99.9%. There is nothing like that. You could probably solve whatever problems without Optables involved into your code bases. But sometimes Optable makes things a lot easier and a tested and a well suited manner to having some specific domain of problem. So it's really hard to, uh, it's really important to find out what kind of problem you want to solve it and what kind of way you are solving it. And if it really fit with a job, then uh, I recommend to use it.
2: Great. I think we have a question from Chad, and that is, uh, is there anything, Ben, to announce around support or integration of uh, async generators with RxJS?
3: Uh, the experimental branch currently supports it uh, I started I started a PR to add it to uh, the stable branch and it added a lot of code uh, to code paths that don't generally get tree shaken away which was the main reason I kind of pulled back from that um, so in part because it also included stuff with scheduling and you know other other stuff uh, there was also some debate around how it might behave but uh, it does exist in the experimental branch. I think we're, we're going to end up shipping it with version seven, um, if we don't also ship it sooner. Uh, but uh, like, r- really, the only reason it's not in there yet is async iterator isn't really widely supported in browsers yet, um, or at least it wasn't as of uh, several months ago. And you know, these these things move a little slower than than I would like. But uh, and, and it would it would. Definitely inflate the size of of RX and and current usage. So, um, yeah, that's, I mean that's the guess. That's, that's the long and short of it. Uh, I want it to be supported. I think that interrupt between those two types is really important. I know that. Um, well, in in the experimental branch, like I'm actually looking for async iter or async iterator. It's there's a symbol that you can put on things that are async iterators, and in observable from to. Uh, you know, kind of convert, uh, but yeah. I mean, it's going to be supported. It's not supported yet. We've had I've had my eye on it for more than a year. Um, I know that uh, people are excited about it, and it's not in there right now, just for reasons.
0: <laughs> That's exciting. Uh, I love seeing all the things that are happening. Um, one question that we get a lot, of course, since now Ben you joined the Angular Core team, is oh my gosh, what does this mean for other people. And, uh, you know, I'll go for one thing to say that this is actually not what we've seen in terms of the, you know, Ben and I run Arcs workshop together. And we've actually seen a large influx of React developers wanting to learn RxJS and quite a few people, of course, using Redux Observable to manage their, uh, manage their side effects and things like that. Um, but Ben, do you have any sort of official words of whatever for people who might be using it in view and react and how the angular team is separating that or how you are separating it.
3: Oh, it's, it's uh, Igor and Mishko and Brad green. So Mishko is my boss and Brad green is Mishko's boss and Igor is, I guess, a peer of Mishko. I don't really how but anyways, they, these are the folks that are kind of steering the ship for angular and they have from the beginning said it was very important to them that, uh, RCS remains a separate entity. Um, we get a lot of support, obviously, from the Angular team in that you know they're paying me to work on it, uh, and we get Angular resources from time to time. Like Jason Aiden came in and worked on the RCS compat stuff. Uh, they contracted, uh, I think, Minko to to work on the the RxJS TS lint. So. Um, The whole whole of the RxJS community is really benefiting from the partnership with the Angular team, Uh, but the Angular team uh, knows it's very important to keep those two things separate. Um, There's not gonna be like Angular specific features added to uh, RxJS. Um, I I mean, it, it might come to the point where in our documentation there could be some Angular-specific instructions to, to help Angular users with with RxJS, but we'll also have that for React and Vue and other things, too. So um, yeah, I, I, it, it's important to the Angular team that these two things remain separate, and people shouldn't be at all worried that uh, Angular is going to take over RxJS or anything <laughs> like that. Think- yeah,
1: RxJS is completely library agnostic. And uh, for example, me, I'm using React and Reduxable in my work. And then I'm um, generally objected if any kind of uh, some kind of library specific things are coming into RxJS ever. We have a kind of a really good example in a prior period that, Ben, you remember that we had uh, some kind of a specific patch discussions in RxJS repo? Yeah. Yeah. Those kind of thing, we eventually had to reject it. Well, there was uh, some kind of other problems as well. But the, my main primary reason is uh, that uh, some kind of a library specific and then if we started to support that, then we have to support pretty much every library specific in that way and further if someone wants it. So right. I strongly wanted to maintain RxJS as a library agnostic And as long as I'm staying in a core member, I'm going to project pretty much everything around this kind of a library specific things.
3: Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm in total agreement. And in, in fact, that that particular PR came from my boss. And after he became my boss, that was when I closed the... So, that was a bit of fun.
2: Um, Um, Yeah, so I mean, it's funny that we're talking about RxJS not just being an Angular thing. I mean, honestly, RxJS might not even just be a front-end thing. Um, I know Tracy and Ben. You guys gave a talk I saw recently about um, you know RxJS and, and Node, and some people are curious, like uh, you know, what kind of future, if any, is there with uh, RxJS uh, in Node or you know any other type of you know, backend frameworks so, or uh, backend situations like that?
1: So mm-hmm. RxJS is perfectly worried. only I mean, with a few browsers, specific ones like the Ajax up so there is no kind of a blocking use cases that you can't use Node, uh, RxJS, and Node.js. So for instance, my primary word domain is Electron, which is a combination of the Node.js for the main process side and the render side of the Chromium. And I use RxJS in both processes all the day long. There is no kind of a strongly blocking things. Of course, there are some kind of a, the improvement requests, like uh, how do we improve uh, the days, the performances when you are importing some of the modules and kind of those questions, we are trying to solve and diagnose those problems and make an improvement over the versions.
3: So yeah, at it, uh, it Netflix, actually, I worked on Falcor Router, which is, it runs a Node. Uh, it's it's a totally a backend thing that runs in Node, and it used RxJS. Um, RxJS has several features that are kind of geared towards Node, like by Node callback. Uh, from event has some special handling for Node cases. Um, it's, uh, and I just found out recently that, so uh, the NPM downloads uh, for ArcGIS have been going bananas. They've been getting like more and more and more. And as it turns out, it's because, uh, there is a dependency of ESLint that is using ArcGIS. Uh, and that of course all runs in Node. Uh, so I, I don't think that, um, Anyone has to worry about our continued support for Node and the Node community. Like it's obviously important. Uh, we run all of our tests in Node first and foremost, so uh, that's we clearly wanted to keep working in Node. Uh, and it's it's a general use case library. It's for pretty much anywhere JavaScript runs. Um, we do require some modern features for some of our features, uh, but you know most all of those things are can be easily polyfilled or whatever. Uh, things, things like um, I think we use map, to in, map in like uh, the distinct operator, etc. But yeah, cool. We like uh, Node.
2: Yeah, that's, that's good to know. Uh, Another JS, they find their own unique operators, their, their own unique ideas on how they want to interact uh, and, and manipulate observables and streams. And one of the questions is, you know, if I make something cool and I want to share it, of course I can put it up. Uh, and, you know, an NPM or something like that. But have, has there been any talk or thought about creating like a marketplace or some sort of place of a centralized location where people can find and look for operators that might match what they're trying to do?
1: There are long time discussion ongoing between core teams that how will we make it actually happen. So I was presented the concept of a, some kind of user land organization and a GitHub that anyone can join as there are custom implementation around surrounding Wolf. But we wanted to sort out some kind of a blocking fact that, how can we actually make it happen? And what would be the best way of doing that? So we obviously include those kind of ideas. We just haven't sorted out what kind of specific details how what we're going to approach it. Yeah,
0: there's definitely been a lot of discussion around it. And I think one of the things that would probably be helpful is if anybody is excited about things like that or investing time in something similar to this, uh, being able to come to the core team and, and just you know hear all the different things that we've tried, things that haven't worked, uh, you know limiting factors to actually being able to have this to happen. Um,
1: yeah, I personally also wanted to, those kind of things to happen because I write a couple of modules externally from the core people. And then I sometimes found that it's really hard to make advertisements of my module itself to the world. So I also wish to have those kind of things. I'm trying to find, like.
3: Right? Yeah, it would be great if we could get something on the docs site that was like, you know, here you can search like this compendium of things that people have made that use RxJS, you know, Uh we just, there's there is a, it's an all-volunteer workforce, aside from me sometimes. <laughs> so, so the, you know, it's a, it's a lot of, there's not a lot of, um, there's not a lot of help for these things, but it's definitely something that we've all thought about. We all want uh, to have some, a uh, little bit more of a, a community, a set of community resources around this, because I've seen some pretty great uh, custom operators that people have made that we don't necessarily want to ship with. Rx, but I would like to point people to if they're looking for something similar. Um, You know, it's just it's just a matter of getting people together and discussing it uh, on a GitHub issue and then getting the work done. And those those things in open source are not always the easiest things to to get done.
0: Yeah, one of the things as well is, you know, um, if you are looking to create your own custom operators, there probably is already one that solves the use case or, you know, maybe using two different operators together sort of will solve your use case anyway. So, um, that's kind of the point of RxJS. It's the fact that, you know, there's, I think what, 60 something operators that we have. So don't, don't feel like you need to recreate something or if you're feeling like, Oh no, I have this case where I need to create this operator. Um, you know, you should probably ask somebody on Twitter and say, like, hey, here's my use case and should I use it or maybe create an issue on uh, the RxJS repo and, and, and you know, somebody can suggest an operator to you um, instead of having to do the work on your own.
3: Right. And maybe even want to publish an operator that you use all the time that's actually made from other operators, too. Uh, I've seen that. Um, totally valid. Uh, things like incremental uh, step back. Uh, retries and things like that. I've seen operators built around those uh, scenarios that we don't necessarily want to publish as part of the core library, but um, utilize different pieces of the core library, so. Yeah.
0: yeah. Well, uh, you know, one thing that I've been very excited about as of recent with the core team is that, you know, we started off, I think it was last year actually with the RxJS docs team or learning team. And we sort of started expanding from that um, and you know, getting more people involved in the project. And what we've actually been able to do lately is add more core team members. And the, you know, the the, the RxJS core team has significantly grown and we've gotten some amazing uh, contributors like uh, Nicholas Jamieson, um, this guy, Deddy, who I met at NG Australia is starting to contribute a lot more as well. Um Jan Niklas, who's an angular developer, has been helping uh, you know lead a lot of the docs initiative as well. Um, you know again, all of these things are what are people passionate about or sometimes it's okay, what are people needing from a business use case and able to actually do the work uh, in RxjS that's needed. But we are really you know one of the biggest pain points for me right now being on the core team is we're trying to do this overhaul of the docs. And so we kind of have this, we have this one repo of docs, we have the old docs that are still in the, the whatever repo. And then we have these new docs, which are the, the docs that you currently see that are generated from the API. And we're, we're still kind of trying to consolidate all of them. Myself and Jan Nicholas made this video on what you can do to just basically like copy paste information from the different repos to, to get us there faster. And so we'd love help with that. Um, but you know, it's it's a very welcoming place. I mean, I, I'm very happy to be on the core team. I'm very happy to be able to work with people who sort of, you know, support beginners and things like that. And you know, you don't have to be scared, you know, to to come and hang out with us and, and contribute. We also have an ArcsJS Slack as well.
3: There's uh I haven't I haven't rejected too many um I haven't rejected too many uh, PRs on, on RSJS. And when I do, I'm always super apologetic because <laughs> I always feel bad for people that are like, they put in all this work and thought, and then we have to reject their, their PR for some reason. Um, I, I think that our community is pretty welcoming uh, as far as, as far as that stuff goes. Uh, so I'm, I'm trying to make it, you know, I, we're all trying to make it safe for, people to come contribute and not have to worry about rejection or, you know, we'll never socially reject you. We might reject your PR, but we'll love you anyways. We'll love you because you made the PR.
1: Yeah. So there are some domains we usually try not to set to like a new feature or a new API services. Currently core team's direction is to try to not to pull out of the core API services. So it's really, say mm-hmm. Sometimes sorry, sometimes someone brings a very detailed implementation of PR of the implementing something new, and then the core is the same. We are not going to increase the service side of the economy, say the story. It's a very, how do I say, heartbreaking situation. <laughs> you well, know?
0: you know, it's like before you start the work, too, I think, and this applies to any open source project, is, you know, me, especially if we're gonna spend, like, let's say, more than 15 minutes on a PR, just you know, talk to people, create an issue around the ideas, get it validated, and then you can spend, you know, the eight, 10, 12, you know, hundred yeah, hours. I would
1: week. like to suggest that actually. Our issue template stands for those purposes, so feel free to create a new issue as And then if you can describe some of the details inside the issues, then sometimes we can acknowledge that, okay, this is something we never thought about it, and then someone can actually spend the time to implement it, and then we can make those kind of things that are actually happening. Usually, the presenting PR process, uh, if it's accepted, it's really great, but if we have to reject it, we feel very sorry about those things.
0: (laughs) Well, I'm super happy to uh, have, you know, Ben and OJ and Rob, all you spend some time with me. Thank you so much, Rob, for being my co-host. You can find- Rob on Twitter at Rob Ocel, O C E L L. And uh, you can find me on Twitter at Lady Leet, that's L A D Y L E E T. Uh, ben, Ben, uh, you know, again, Angular team, Arcs, JS Core team, you can find him at Ben Lush on Twitter. Um, or where else can we find you? We we'll find you on Instagram sometimes, but OJ, <laughs> OJ, uh, yeah, you're gonna get an influx of uh, followers on uh, on on Instagram. Yeah, hello
3: not- OJ. OJ is one of my favorite people.
0: Yeah, OJ, uh, and it's uh, so OJ. You can find on Twitter at underscore OJ Kwon, K W O N. And it's funny because every time I say OJ because of Jay, our friend Jay Phelps. Yay. Like, oh, <laughs> when we're frustrated. So we always think of you, RJ. <laughs> uh, anyway, so thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Modern Web podcast. And, uh, you know, to find out more, go ahead and look at our show notes. And again, We're super happy to talk to everybody on Twitter. If you are interested in contributing, you can direct message me, and I will add you to the RxJS Slack channel. And other than that, we will see you soon. Thanks. This podcast is sponsored by NativeScript. Want to use your web skills to build iOS and Android apps? Try NativeScript. NativeScript is an open-source framework for building native mobile apps using technologies you already know, like JavaScript, Angular, or Vue. Learn more at nativescript.org modern modernweb.